Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Man, thank you so much for your giving. Welcome once again to Bethesda Church. We've been in a series entitled The Upper Hand, and this series has been all about teaching us um, how to overcome spiritual opposition. And I shared with you in week one that this, this series was born out of the season that we've been in as a church. As a church, God is, in fact, doing something new, um, and it's, it's awesome. His presence is is. Uh, tangible, lives are being changed, people are being healed and delivered, um, and we just celebrate all that God is doing. Um, and one of the things that I sense that is happening in this season is not only what God is doing is, is it's not really a new thing for God. I mean, there's nothing new in him. It's, it's a lot of times it's new for us. God, just in case some of y'all don't know, God, nothing ever occurs to God. He's not learning right? He knows all things. He has all knowledge. Um, but, but he's doing something new in us. And with that, what I've been sensing is a, a hunger that is growing within the people. Uh, you can sense there's a passion, there's a hunger that people are pursuing Jesus. And, you know, I, I love the fact that the enemy thought that he was going to, you know, shut the church down and keep God. But Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Come on, we, we came out of COVID and all that. Man, we still here. We still got a voice. More people are getting saved, healed, and delivered. God is still moving in the earth. Uh, and so I want to be a part of that. But one of, the, one of the keys to being a part of what God is doing is learning how to overcome spiritual opposition. We're in a battle. We have a real enemy, and he is 100% evil, 100% relentless in his attacks against you and I. It's not some made-up story. It's not fiction. It's a real battle. There is a spiritual realm uh, that you and I battle. We can't see it, but we can feel it and experience it. Um, and we know that the Apostle Peter talked about a real enemy. The Apostle Paul did. John did. And even Jesus himself talked about a real enemy that there is real spiritual opposition. And sometimes that opposition comes at us in, in different forms. And we know that we're not fighting against people, but how many of you understand the enemy uses people and manipulates people? Uh, and, and so the enemy may come through a coworker. Right now, you may have spiritual opposition with a coworker or a spiritual opposition in your home with your kids. Uh, but we gotta learn how to you know, defeat that and overcome that and regain the upper hand that Jesus has given us. And the first rule of any battle is to know your enemy, which is why each week I'm unpacking one of the names of our spiritual enemy to give us an indicator on how he comes against you and I. For example, in week one, we, we use the name Lucifer. That, that's our enemy's uh, original name, Lucifer. And we talked in that message about how he uses pride, right? That, that the devil himself, Satan, Lucifer, um, he went from worship 
into pride. He didn't go from humility into pride. He went from worship into pride. And so one of the ways that we make sure we don't become prideful in ourselves is to worship and to praise God. Anything God does in my life, anything successful going on in my life, if I don't reflect that or return that back to God in the form of praise, it has the potential to become pride. And so praise and worship is the antidote to pride. Last week, we looked at his name, Devil, and we talked about lies. We know the devil is a liar. He showed up in the Garden of Eden, and he used an element of truth, but twisted the truth, and he brings lies into our life to gain the upper hand. And we know that in order to defeat the lies of the enemy, what we need is the Word of God. The Word of God is not outdated. It, it actually tra- it's transcendent. It's, it's good for all generations, all races, any time period. How many of you understand the word of God works wherever it's worked? Wherever we put it into practice, it works. And so you need the word of God. Today we're looking at a third name of our spiritual enemy, and that is the name Satan. And this name implies how he, he wants to take control of our lives. It, it, it's all about control. He has a desire to regain the upper hand in your life in the area of control. He wants control. Um, And so let me ask you guys a question. How many of you will admit that you have control issues? All right, we got some honest people, I love it. (laughs) Like I got control issues. Um, maybe, Maybe it's not you, maybe it's someone you work for. Maybe, and you better not point it out, it could be your spouse has control issues. And some of you are like, I don't have control issues, Pastor Chad. I don't, I don't. As long as everything goes exactly the way I want it, I'm totally flexible, right? I'm totally flexible if everything goes the way I want it to go. And after all, I mean, I know how things should go because it's a spiritual gift God gave me, right? It's not control issues, it's a gift. And I, and I say all that because I want you to lean in and listen to, to what we're going to learn over the next few minutes is that your spiritual enemy, Satan, has major control issues. Major control issues. Control is something your spiritual enemy wants back because the day you chose to follow Jesus, he lost control. The moment you said yes to Jesus... He was no longer in control. And his desire is to regain control of your life again. In Romans chapter 6, starting in verse number 20, the Apostle Paul writing says, When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. I love this passage because he's making a contrast that at one point you were a slave to sin, but now, some of you don't like to think about this, now you are slaves to God. You were at one time free when you were not following Jesus, you were free of the obligation to do the right thing. But now, because you're following Jesus, some of us, we would have to admit that we're ashamed 
of the things we used to do. Anybody feel me right there? Like there are things now that I'm following Jesus when I think about what I used to do and what I engaged in. I am now ashamed of those things and now I'm doing those things that lead to holiness. This is why life sometimes gets a little bit harder after you choose to follow Jesus. Notice I, I, I didn't say it gets easier. And I know I've been, I've, I've been guilty of giving the altar call. Come to Jesus, it's all going to get better. Now spiritually, you're on your way to heaven and everything is better. But how many know when you say yes to Jesus, now you're in a fight. Now you're in a battle. And for, for many of you, especially those of you that are new in your faith, or maybe you've just recommitted in your faith and now you're really pursuing Jesus, the whole deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus, you're really living that out and it feels like things have not gotten easier, but in fact, they've gotten a little harder. And the reason that happens is because before Jesus, Satan was your opponent or, or he wasn't your opponent, he was your master. But after Jesus... He's not your master. Satan's not your master. He's now your opponent. He's working against you. And he wants to make things harder because at the end of the, of the day, he wants to draw you away from Christ and your relationship with Christ through control and eventually destroy your life. So Satan's goal is control. Hit somebody and tell them Satan's goal is control. That's the wrong neighbor. Tell somebody else Satan's goal is control. At the end of the day, Satan's goal is control, and if that's his goal, how does he plan to get control? How does he plan to exercise it? Well, if I wanted to control your life, there's only two options. I can do it overtly, or I can do it covertly. Overtly means I'm going to come in and overpower you. I'm going to force you into submission. That, that's overtly. And many people think that's how the enemy works because their ideas of Satan have been defined by Hollywood instead of the Bible. And Satan um, is not just the enemy who, you know, overtly controls people with his supernatural power, but he actually does the opposite. He likes to come covertly. He likes to come undetected. Satan loves when he has control of your life and you don't know it. Okay, he loves to work that way. That's how he comes against us. And the book of Colossians is a, is a great backdrop for where we're going this morning. In Colossians chapter two, verses 14 and 15, it says, Jesus canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Anybody thankful that Jesus took your sins and nailed them to the cross? It says, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So on the day Jesus was being crucified, Satan, was he stood there thinking he had won. The scripture tells us that if the, if the enemy, if the demons with him had known what was going to happen, they would have never crucified him. But, but for about three days, Satan thought, he, he had won because in one hand, he had the list of things you and I had done wrong, all the sins we had committed. And in the other hand, he now, it looked for a moment like he had the power of, of sin and death, that he had the power of all these things. And he, he taunted Jesus and all of us 
in front of his demons gloating that he had all this power, all this authority. He was living his best life, having the best weekend of his life until Sunday morning. Because on the third day, what happened? We're getting ready to celebrate Easter. On the third day, Jesus got up defeating death, hell, and the grave. And it's why the scripture says that Satan would have never crucified him had he known what was going to happen on the third day. But it doesn't stop there because Jesus, when he got up on the third day, the Bible says he descended into hell and he canceled the record against you and I. He disarmed Satan and all his power and authority and then he shamed Satan by parading him in front of all of heaven and earth. So don't think for a second that there is some equal weighted battle of good and evil at the cross. Jesus defeated him and left him powerless and a humiliated foe, which is why Satan does not try to control you overtly. He tries to control you covertly. He doesn't want you to detect when he's messing with your life. It's why some people for 20 years deal with the same thing, thinking it was just them, but all along it was the enemy having control. They just never uncovered it. They never detected it. They never took their rightful place in God and exercised their authority. And, and, and because the enemy comes covertly, that means that he comes disguised through thoughts, through people, through situations, looking to gain a place or some space in our minds so that he can influence decisions that you and I make and not only influence decisions, influence actions. And here's the sobering part, and I hate giving the devil credit. He's so good at working covertly that he's, he's so good at, good at it that oftentimes we have no idea when he has regained control. He works behind the scenes. Karen and I have been leading this church for a little over 15 years. September will make 16 years. But I can remember early on in our ministry here at Bethesda Church, I was 29 years old, brand new pastor, um, really green, you know, just yes, Lord, wherever. And, you know, I prayed the prayers, God, wherever you want me to do this, I'll do it. If it's Africa, I'll go to Africa. I don't, I don't care where you, you put a call on us, I'm saying yes to it. Um, and so we began pastoring, but couple years in, so we're talking more than a decade ago, a couple years in, I started to notice that Karen and I were living in perfect harmony and unity and so much love six days a week. But every Saturday, some kind of argument would begin. Some kind of fight would begin. I would say something to hurt her feelings. She would say something I didn't like, and now we are in the ring ready to throw down. And what was happening is, is that the enemy knew, and we didn't recognize it, the enemy knew if I can get them distracted and fighting with one another on Saturday, they will be fruitless on Sunday. And, and for, for a while, it worked until one day I got this revelation, like we don't fight on Monday. We're not, we don't argue on Tuesday. Everything's good on Friday, like everything, Saturday. It's like the gloves are off. Let's go. 
And it wasn't until I, I began to see, it's, I'm not fighting her and she's not fighting me. This is happening every single Saturday because we have a calling, we have a purpose, we have something we're assigned to do. God wants us to do something. And the enemy is putting us at odds with one another coming in to Sunday to be able to do the ministry God has given us. And I didn't detect it. I thought something was wrong with her on Saturdays. <laughs> she thought something was wrong with me on Saturdays. Uh, and, and so the enemy, and I hate to admit it, because we didn't detect that, because we didn't uncover that, he had actually gained control of an area. He had influence of an area of our life because he comes in undetected. Now, and it made me mad. I'm just going to be honest because anytime I look back on a season and I recognize he had control of an area of my life, I get mad. And some of you, it would do you some good if you got mad enough that you detected the enemy, uncovered his lies, and un uncovered where he had been uh, exercising control. Because when you start thinking back at all the times he robbed you of God's peace, robbed you of God's, God's comfort, robbed you of God's joy, robbed you from doing the purpose for which God had called you to do, all because he had access and control to your life that you didn't recognize, that ought to make you mad. And for you to rescind everything he's done, take your rightful place in Christ, and tell him, go back where he belongs, and start walking in the dominion and the purpose and the favor of God in every part of your life. It should make us mad when we look back and we see where he has been working. Now, some of you may ask, because we've talked a lot this year about deliverance, and you're probably thinking, well, pastor, were you demon-possessed? I, I don't think I was demon-possessed, but Karen might have thought I was, you know? Come on, y'all. Y'all got to give me something. No, I, I, and, and I want to address this again. I know we've taught on it some, but I want to address it again because the phrase demon-possessed is used in Scripture. But you've got to understand from the original language, um, the word possession, the word that's used there, doesn't mean ownership. It doesn't mean that at all. And so we get, we get all caught up in semantics sometimes, uh, and we ask you know, questions like, can a Christian be demon-possessed? And we're asking the wrong question because demons can't own anyone. Christians, are un they don't own anybody. But the, the Greek word where it says demon-possession means, what it means is access, influence, or control. That, that he has influence in an area of your life. So, yeah, a Christian cannot be owned by a demon, but a Christian can give the enemy access or influence to areas of their life. You can take a person who, who loves the Lord and they're a Christian, and they, they drink. And, and I'm not preaching a message on alcohol right here, but let me show you how this works. They, they drink, and they, they drink to excess, the Bible calls it. They, they overdrink. They're tipsy, they're buzzed, they're drunk, right? How many know the Bible does have something to say about that? Oh, Lord, it's getting real quiet. Um, but, but then they drink, and then they, they, you know, I'm a Christian, but they overdrink, then they go get in a car, and then they drive. And then they have an accident hurting themselves and hurting someone else. The question is, does the alcohol own the person? The alcohol doesn't own the person, but the alcohol had influence and caused them to do something they normally wouldn't do. Does that make sense? They it don't own them, but it, it definitely influenced them. And this is important because 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, 
Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I want you to know it says may devour. It doesn't say can devour. It doesn't say can because Satan has been stripped of all power. It says may because Satan needs permission. This is so important. He needs permission. The only power Satan has in our lives is the power we give him. He doesn't just come and wreak havoc without your cooperation, without you giving him permission. So how do we, how do we, how does that happen? How do we give the enemy control? How does that happen in our lives? Well, one of the ways comes from Ephesians chapter four, verse 27. It says, and do not give the devil an opportunity. Everybody say opportunity. This word opportunity literally means a seat or a place. All right? So do not give the devil a seat or a place in your life. Don't give him an opportunity. Don't give him space. Don't give him a seat. Don't give him anything to lead you. And he gives, he gives some things here. To lead you by holding a grudge or nurturing anger or harboring resentment, cultivating bitterness or knowingly sinning. He said, these are ways that when we do those things, we literally give the devil a seat at our table. We give him access. We allow the enemy to counsel us instead of the scripture to counsel us. All because we've given him a place. So every time we do these things, we give him access points to have control. So every Saturday, Karen and I fought. That was a day that we were giving the enemy access to control our marriage. How many of you understand we had to give him permission to do that? We had to give him an access point until we learned that it was his schemes, we uncovered it, and we were able to take authority and release our authority in God over that situation. Um, One of the major epiphanies that we need is that we don't look like this in the physical or in the spiritual realm. We, we look in the mirror and say, why in the world, you know, would I tell the devil what to do? He ain't going to listen to me. You know, I can't even win the battle of the bulge, much, much less tell the devil to get off. Right? Like we, we, we look and we think that the devil, when he looks at us, he sees us physically, but you are a spiritual being living in a physical body. And so when the enemy works, he works in the spiritual realm. He's not looking at what you guys can see here physically. He sees who I am in the spiritual realm. He works in the spiritual realm, and he sees who we are in the spiritual realm. And the, and the point is, is that you don't look like you in the spiritual And this is important because Ephesians 6 says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in times of evil. In the spirit, you don't look like you. You look like this. Come here, Chris. In the spiritual realm, you don't look like you. In the spiritual realm, you look like one who has authority. You don't look like you in the spiritual, in Christ. You are armed with the armor of God. You've got the word of God. You've got the Holy Spirit. You look much more like this in the spiritual than you do this. 
So I want you to see this. He's going to help me preach. And part of the reason he's going to help me preach is because I've been seeing how some of y'all been acting in the parking lot. Can't obey a direct. Come on, y'all. Y'all got to laugh, smile. Lock the doors. Nobody's leaving until I get a little more than this. Like, we've been seeing how you've been acting. You can't follow. Maybe if he pulls the gun out and points this way, we'll get your attention. Maybe, or maybe he'll just help me with my speeding tickets. I don't know. Um, but in the spiritual, you don't look like you. You look like this. And this is Officer Chris Bennett. And I want you guys to give it up for Chris. Come on. He's, we thank you for your sacrifice and all that you do. We're proud of what God's doing in his life and in Heather's life and in their family. God's, God's doing some cool things in them. Um, and so I, I don't want you to see you as you. I want you to see you the way the devil does. Now, when Chris walks into a situation where things have gotten out of control because of his role, when he walks into a situation that's out of control, he's equipped to regain control and to restore peace. And he's able to do that, three, three things that help him to do that. One, Chris is trained to recognize when something's wrong. He's trained to recognize when something's off, something's not right with this. He's trained for that. Secondly, he has authority to make what's wrong right. He has authority. That's, that's what this badge is all about. He has the authority to make the wrong right. The third thing about that is, is that if his authority is challenged in any kind of way, he can demonstrate power behind that authority. So in the spirit, you don't look like you you look like him in the spirit. So let me give you three points to help you regain authority this morning. Number one, if you're going to regain authority and not allow Satan to have control of your life, number one, you got to be able to recognize the wrong influence. Recognize the wrong influence. When Chris enters an area, if he enters into a room and he's observing behavior in that room, at that moment, he's able to recognize what is lawful and what is not lawful. He has been trained to do that. In the same way, it's God's plan that you should be able to look into your life. Please follow me. Look into your life. Look at your emotional health. Look at your marriage health. Look at your children. Look at your peace. Look at your finances. Look at your relationships. You should be able to look at all those aspects of your life and be able to pinpoint what's God's will and what's not. You are equipped to recognize wrong influence. And some of us, um, we have a hard time living God's will because we don't even recognize it when it's missing. We're cloudy on the will of God. We, we're, we're just cloudy on it. And, and, and if you are cloudy on what God's will is for your life, you're going to live a, a, a life of defeat. If you don't recognize that God's will is missing, what happens is, is that the enemy holds you hostage and he keeps you a prisoner. And, and, and you can hear Satan's influence in the lives of Christians by the way they talk. You'll meet Christians, and sometimes, you know, I have to encourage Christians because they're talking and saying it with their own mouth, and they'll say things like, um, well, maybe it's just not God's will for me to be healed. Maybe, you know, it's just not in God's plan for us to stay married. 
Maybe it's not in God's plan for uh, our family to, to get out of debt and be okay financially. And so we're cloudy on the will of God. And so because we're cloudy on God's will, we don't recognize when God's will is missing. But the most reliable guide to the will of God, listen to me, because you can't be more spiritual than you are scriptural. It's impossible. I, listen, I didn't say this the first service, but you got to understand you can't be more spiritual than you are scriptural. And I know there are a lot of people that just want an experience. We want to prophesy and lay in the floor and, you know, and do all the, the like, we, like we, want, we want our feels filled up. You know, we want to feel God. And I love that. But if that's all I do and I'm never in the word, I'm not spiritual. Even though I run around the building and punch holes in the wall, you know, I fall out in the floor seven times every Sunday. It's great. I hope you have an experience. I hope you feel the presence of God. I hope you have that moment where you know, my goodness, it's tangible. I can feel God. You should feel God. He's alive and well and still in charge. But you also need to pull out that Bible, shake the dust off of it, get into the Word, because you'll never be more spiritual than you are scriptural. you got to know the Word. And, and, and so when it comes to certain things, when, when people say, well, I, I guess, you know, I, I just don't know God's will for my finances. If I've got a word, Philippians 4.19, that says my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory, I don't have to guess about finances. I don't have to guess if God wants um, a broken relationship restored because 2 Corinthians 5.18 says Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation reconciliation. I don't have to guess if God wants my husband saved or my wife saved or, or, or this person saved in my life because 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. I don't have to guess if God wants to heal me because Numbers 15, 26 God says, for I am the Lord who heals you. If I know what God has said about it, come on somebody I need you to put an amen on it. If I know what God said about it, I don't have to remain cloudy in that area. And so Chris, he doesn't have to guess if someone's breaking the law or not. I may not know the law. I may not know the rules. I, I would be guessing on a lot of things if that's, you know, lawful or not. But he has been trained in the natural to know that he's breaking the law. This is not lawful. He's his mind has been trained to recognize that. And, and, and I say that, let this mind that was in Christ to be also in you. You've got to train your mind with the word of God so that if you don't see the promises of God and you see that his will is missing, if you get a word on it, you can, how many of you, you can reverse that? And you can start walking in the promises of God. And, and this is so important because if you don't recognize this and take this stance against Satan's schemes, what happens is, is you end up fighting people instead of the enemy. You'll, you'll be fighting your spouse. You'll be fighting other Christians. You'll be, half, half the Christians in the world now, what, what they think their ministry is, is to fight people on Facebook. I'm just going to sit here and fight. And here's how we do it. How's that going for you? Hey, I've been there. Like, I'm uh, typing away. Boom. Type away. Boom. 
You know what I've had to learn to do? Type it all out and then hit delete. And it ain't spiritual. It's completely fleshly. It just makes me feel better like I, I did say it all. I just didn't send it. Come on, y'all. Having a vulnerable moment. Sometimes you type it out and hit delete. Let me ask y'all a question. How many of you have someone that drives you crazy? We're, we're the real people. I love it. Some of you are like, like you wanted to jump. I got all kinds of people driving me crazy. Um, and and you, Satan does work through people. We're not fighting people, but he uses people. And, and, and so a lot of times what you got to do is you got to take a step back when it's involving people. And instead of blaming that coworker, take authority over the spirit of strife behind that situation. Instead of, of being mad at your sister-in-law, that just start rebuking the spirit of criticism that's involved. Instead of being upset and fighting with your kids, start rebuking the spirit of rebellion that's taken place in the home. Instead of, instead of trying to do natural things, sometimes we just need to get, I, I hate to say it, as Christians, sometimes we do need to get a little more spiritual. And quit trying to find a natural solution to a spiritual problem. If it's a spiritual problem, it, it's going to require a spiritual solution. So number one, if we're going to get the upper hand, not allow the enemy to take control, we've got to recognize the wrong influence. Second thing you've got to do is you've got to reveal your authority. It's not enough to recognize the wrong influence if you're not going to reveal your authority. Um, once Chris, in his job, once he recognizes that something's wrong, he has the authority to make that right. He's been granted permission and authority to make it right. Spiritually speaking, you have the authority to make things right. Um, Jesus, one day, he, he was meeting with 70. It wasn't the, the 12, it was 70. So these were not the people that he spent every day and every night with that he had the, you know, the most intimate relationship with. This was a, a broader 70 people. And in Luke chapter 10, it says, then the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So this is not even like the intimate, close followers. This is a broader 70 that Jesus sent out and they went out in the authority of his name and they recognized that when we go in the authority of his name, that demons have to listen, that demons have to go. And, and Jesus said back to them, he, he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. That, that is a symbolism for all demonic power and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. In Matthew 28, Jesus said that he had gained all authority and he gave it to us to establish his will on the earth. If Jesus has all authority, that means that the enemy has none. Jesus has all authority. It means the enemy has none. And so God has given you permission as a follower of Jesus to make the, the things that are wrong, to make them right. We have been given divine permission to enforce God's will. The way we know Chris in the natural has authority to exercise the will of the government uh, in his role is because of this badge. When he shows up in full uniform with that badge on, the badge is an indicator that he has authority to make this right, to do something about it. If you are a believer, 
you also have a badge in the spiritual realm. You can't see it, but listen to me, if you're in Christ, the devil can see it. And so that means every student, every plumber, every lawyer, every nurse, every doctor, every educator, every stay-at-home mom, every stay-at-home dad, every single person in Christ has enough authority to undo what hell has done. Every single one has the authority to undo what hell has done. Now, some of us are like, okay, I've got the badge in the spirit, but why does it feel? You know how Christians are. We bellyache a lot. Why does it feel like I'm always under attack? I'm just, the devil's, yeah, they used to do testimony service in the church I grew up in. Y'all know what testimony service is? That's where they pass the mic around and everybody gives a testimony. The problem I always had growing up listening to testimony services that everybody who took the microphone to give a testimony, I felt like they gave more glory to the devil than they did God. The devil's been on my back lately. He's been wearing me out. They would finally get to like a good part, but you just took 20 minutes saying how he's wearing you out. And, and here, here's what we have to understand. If you feel like I'm following Jesus, but life's, life's tough, I feel like I'm under attack, the reason the enemy is still attacking you like that is because he's banking on the fact that you don't know that you have authority. The reason people get pummeled by hell is because we don't, we don't it's not that we don't have authority, because we do in Christ, we just don't use it. We don't use the authority he's given us. The Bible doesn't say when the enemy attacks, pray that God handles it. The Bible teaches us to resist the devil and he will flee. A lot of us are praying and asking God to show up and do things that he's already given you permission and the authority to do in, because you're in Christ. You're like, I wish God would just fix this marriage. He's given you the authority to fix that marriage. He's given you the authority. He's given you permission. And listen, God will allow to happen in your life whatever you're willing to allow. He will, you know, if that's what the level you want to live on, he will let you live on it. But if, you, if you're ready to exercise your authority because of your relationship with God, you can begin to change things. It's what Jesus meant when he said, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus was saying, I've given you the keys, and part of the key is, is that you have authority to bind and loose. That literally means that you determine what you're going to allow or disallow. I've given you that authority. Come on, hit your neighbor and say, use it. Come on, wrong neighbor. Tell somebody else, use it. I heard this story about a lady who went out for a, a drive one night, and it was, it was near dark, not all the way dark, but almost there. And because of that, she couldn't see real well. And she made a, a wrong turn and ended up um, in an accident. She, she hit somebody else. So she, you know, her car's messed up. That person's car's messed up. No one was hurt severely, but after that wreck, she was gripped by fear. And let me just say this about fear. Fear is not an emotion. Fear is a spirit. The Bible says God has not given us the spirit of fear, but he's given us power, love, and a sound mind. But she was so gripped by fear that she couldn't hardly drive anymore. 
And especially at night, she wouldn't drive. And if she had to drive anywhere, she would have to pray and, you know, sweat this thing out and get in the car. And, and, and this went on and on and on. This fear after that one accident is like she was scared to death to ever drive again. I'm not driving. Just afraid that something worse would happen. And this went on for months. And finally, one of her friends asked her and said, are you sure that what's happening at this point isn't the work of the enemy? And the lady thought for a moment, she was like, you know, no way. I know the Bible. You know, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I go to church. I serve in my church. You know, there's no way this could be the work of the enemy. But as she thought about it, it was like the plan and the scheme of the enemy through fear was exactly what was happening. And she rose up with a new boldness and she said literally out loud, Satan, your deception is over. I'm taking my authority over you and I'm no longer operating with the spirit of fear. And she's been driving without fear ever since that day. She had to take authority over the spirit. And how many people struggle because they refuse to take authority they refuse to exercise the authority God has given them we recognize what's wrong we take authority and number three and this is so important we have to release God's power you got to release God's power do you know why people listen to this it's because he also has a gun right He's got, he, he's, he's got the badge, and if they're not going to listen to the authority that comes with the badge, then, you know, the, the next measure is you can meet my buddy. Right? So, so if the badge doesn't stop them, eventually the gun will. And Chris's authority, what that means is, is backed up by power. And on occasions where his authority might be challenged in the natural he is trained he's trained to demonstrate power um the point i'm making with that is that when you begin to release god's power when you when you take your rightful place your authority in christ the devil is going to challenge your authority sometimes we'll be up here casting the devil out and you know what demons will say sometimes we ain't leaving yes you are you got to go where I tell you to go because that's the authority. They will challenge that authority. They, don't, they, they will challenge, and, and they will challenge it with thoughts like, well, you really don't have enough faith. They will challenge it with, I know who you used to be. They will challenge it with, and these are thoughts. I, I've been in ministry 20-plus years, and he will still put thoughts like, I know who you really are, and you really don't have faith, and, and I know what you still struggle with. He will absolutely challenge your authority because he doesn't want you to get to a place where not only you stand in your authority, but you're willing to release God's power. When your authority is challenged, that is the time where you have to release God's power. You may ask, how do I release God's power? I am so glad you asked because here, here's, here's the way we do it. We do it by combining the two most powerful forces to ever exist. What are those two forces? God's word and your mouth. 
God's word and your mouth. We know that life and death are in the power of the tongue and that God's word is a weapon of mass destruction. Hebrews 4 and 12 says the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than than the sharpest two-edged sword. The literal translation of two-edged sword, it's not talking about two sides. It means two mouths. It's two mouths is the literal translation, revealing that the most powerful display is when a truth comes from God's mouth to you and then from your mouth to the enemy. And so I want to challenge some people to pray a little bit differently. Stop asking God for what he's already made clear in his word. Stop hoping that God intervenes. Get a verse, meditate on that verse, open up your mouth, and watch what God will do if you will start speaking what God has already established as truth. Something powerful happens. And a lot of us, we're comfortable talking to God with our mouth, but listen, you need to get comfortable talking to the devil with your mouth. You say, well, well, pastor, I'm a little uncomfortable. You better get comfortable if you want authority and release power. Some people probably think I'm crazy sometimes because sometimes my prayer time happens in the truck. And sometimes it's not, God, I love you, and I thank you, and God bless me. Sometimes, devil, get your hands off my, my family. Get your hands out of here. Like, I'm, I'm talking to him. In the na- y'all, some of y'all are like, man, that pastor, he crazy. No, I'm not crazy. I recognize I have authority, but, but until I'm willing to stand in that authority and release God's power by speaking his word, then, I, then I'm going to be a prisoner. I'm going to live in, I'm going to be defeated, going to be a hostage. I'll never have victory if I don't start exercising that authority and releasing God's power. Are you all getting anything out of this? Let me, let me say this. Let me say this. Jesus never, and, and, and I'm not talking about casting demons out right now. I don't want y'all to think, well, they're the demon church. No, we're not. We're a gospel church, which means people get saved, they get healed, they get delivered, they serve, they, have, they raise up great families, they raise up strong children, they handle money well. How I many know there's a lot to a church? All right? But Jesus never fought a demon out of a person. He always had to speak to get the demon out. I'm telling you, you got to get comfortable not only talking to God, but you're going to have to get comfortable talking to the spirits that have been assigned to sabotage your relationship with Christ. And here's the powerful thing. When I'm speaking to the enemy, I I can't hear him while I'm talking to him. I can't listen to him while I'm speaking to him. And when you speak God's word, It reminds Satan of the power that's behind you. The truth is, Chris has authority. He's trained. He's equipped in the natural to do all kinds of things. And you may be here today and think, you know what? I could take him. Some of y'all sitting out there, I could take him. I got this. But what you don't know, you may come up against Chris thinking I'm bigger, I'm meaner. I'm badder, I'm all these things, and, and you're going to take him on physically, but not only does he have a gun, but how many of you understand he's got an entire department that backs him up? Not only does he have an entire department that backs him up, he's got an entire county that backs him up. And if you keep messing, that thing will go all the way to the state will back him up. Some of you are like, I'll keep coming. Well, now... now <laughs> Now the federal government can get involved. 
He has backing all the way up to Navy SEALs if they need it. Like there's backing. And, and I want some of you to know that when you stand in your rightful place, you have connect groups that are backing you up. You've got this local church that is backing you up. You've got the host of heaven that is backing you up. You are a child of God. You're a joint heir with Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. King Jesus is still on the throne. That all of heaven will begin backing you up if you'll take your rightful place and start saying what God has said. You gotta take your rightful place and release God's power. My goal is that you stop seeing yourself as some weak opponent. It's the Christ in us that is the hope of glory. I can't tell you how many times this year because of the, the intensity of the warfare and when you start taking the devil's ground and you, you, you you boldly say, we're going to set captives free and cast devils out and heal the sick. And you, don't, you have no idea how many times I've had to remind myself because the enemy will always try to challenge your authority. And he doesn't care if you're a student or a lawyer or a doctor or an educator or a stay-at-home mom or a pastor. He doesn't care. He, he, he's just going to find out, are you in Christ or not? And so I am continually reminding myself that it's not my power. It's not my authority. Jesus has been given all authority and he delegates his authority to us in the same way that it could go all the way back to Navy SEALs, if, if that's how far it needs to go, to let Chris know that he's backed up. I'm telling you, God will make sure that all of heaven stands behind you when you stand in the authority of Jesus Christ. He will make sure of it. Satan just hopes you forget who you are. When he challenges you, stand in faith, open your mouth, and release God's power by releasing God's word. Our weapons, the Bible says, are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Man, if you could see yourself in the spirit, some of y'all would get a little bit of attitude. Because you don't look like what you saw in the mirror this morning. You are fully armed, fully capable, fully anointed. The word is nigh thee, even in your mouth, the psalmist said. Prophesy to your surroundings. Prophesy to the things around you. Speak to things until they start lining up with what God has said. For some of you, the best thing you could do is when this service is over, go get in your car, and I don't care how crazy it looks, get in your car, close the door, act all cool, but once you shut the door, you need to start telling the enemy to get, to get off and out of your life. Serve the devil notice that, that it stops today. Wherever he's been wreaking havoc, wherever he's been messing, wherever he's, today I serve notice on you that it stops. If you're battling with sickness, instead of just whining about it, speak to the spirit of sickness and say, by his stripes I am healed. If you're battling with anxiety, speak the word of God over that spirit of anxiety and declare to that spirit that I have the peace of Jesus Christ. Speak to that spirit of addiction and declare to it, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Let Satan know that no weapon formed against you will be able to prosper. You gotta start speaking to, to some stuff.
I want you to stand to your feet this morning all over the room. Chris, thank you so much. Can y'all give it up for Chris? Come on. How many of y'all got something out of the Word of God today? Did you get something out of it? We're going to do two things. Um, I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. No one looking around for the next couple of moments. I want to give an invitation first and foremost to those that are outside of relationship with Jesus. And what I mean by that is right now you know if Jesus were to return, this is not a scare tactic. This is just to let you know where you stand with God. If, if, If you would say... If he returned today, I don't know that I'm ready to meet him. That's probably an indicator. That there's sin, there's things you need to repent of, and you need to choose to follow Jesus, to make him the Lord of your life. This is an opportunity for you to do that. Maybe you recognize during this sermon that, hey, you know what? The enemy's had control because he's been my my master. He's been calling the shots in my life, but today he's no longer calling the shots. Jesus is going to call the shots. He's going to be the Lord of my life. If that's you this morning and you know you need to give your life to Christ and follow Jesus, if that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, Pastor, that's me. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Thank you for this hand over here. God bless you. Anyone else, you would hold your hand up and say, that's me. Don't want to miss anyone. Is there another one here? Thank you. God bless you for that. Anyone else? Is another one here? Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone else before we pray? Man, this is, a, this is an awesome moment. Three people saying yes to Jesus and no to the devil. That's how you break control. I want us to pray out loud. I want you to pray loud enough, everybody loud enough where you can hear it with your own ears. No magic, I hate even using that word, no magic in the, in the prayer. This is just us helping you articulate what God is doing as you choose to follow Jesus. So every voice lifted, say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner, I've committed sins, I need a savior. I can't save myself. So Jesus, I believe that you came and died in my place. I also believe that on the third day, you rose in victory. So today, I submit my life to your Lordship. I choose to follow you. I repent for all my sins. Thank you for saving me and loving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, lose your mind for about 10 seconds for those three people. Come on, put your hands together. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Now, the second thing, this is real important because I believe we're in a new season and God is doing something brand new here at Bethesda Church. And I don't want it to just be a new season and and for you to walk in your authority and release God's power individually and then us not be able to do it corporately. And I was challenged by the Holy Spirit this morning during the first service that when I give the altar call, you need to invite, not just invite, 
but you need to encourage and prompt every single person under the sound of, of, of your voice to take a step and say, you know what, I, I want to be able to recognize wrong influences, I want to take my authority, and I also want to be able to release God's power. And what the Holy Spirit showed me, I don't know exactly what's going to happen during this altar, but I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to do something significant as the worship team leads us. We're all going to take a step. I know not everybody can get all the way to the altar, but I want you to get as close as you can, and we're going to, we're going to sing and worship corporately. There is an individual anointing, but what I've also learned is that there is a corporate anointing. And what God is doing here at Bethesda Church is not for, listen, listen to me, it's not for one or two or three or four. God's wanting to put an anointing on this place like that will blow our minds. And I believe the Holy Spirit is going to do something significant during these next five to seven minutes. He may give you uh, a strategy on what you need to do. During this time, he may give you an, an order of, of what, how you need to be praying, of who you need to be talking to. He may just heal some things in your life. So I'm going to ask the prayer team, you can get in place. If you need prayer, we're up here, we're ready to pray for you. But if you don't need prayer, I still going to encourage every single person to get as close as you can. And I'm going to wait until everybody's moved. I'm, not, I'm, I'm bold enough to sit here and lock the doors. Everybody's going to make a step today. And say, yes, God, do something new in me. So I'm going to invite you all to come. Just get as close as you can. We may have to fill the aisles a little bit. But we're just going to sing and worship corporately and take a step together. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.